0: You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Romans chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I want to preach part 2 of just a mini-series from Romans 2. That I've entitled God's Judgment. God's Judgment. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed for people to die once, and after this, judgment. We do not know when Judgment Day is nor the day of our own death. But you will not do yourself any favor by looking at either as far away. You must treat both with more fear and call them near. I want you to imagine just for a moment, we don't like to do this, but imagine just for a moment you are lying on your deathbed. Nurses and doctors can do no more. Family and friends have gathered around you, weeping, expecting you to part. You have no power to stop yourself. You have come to the very edge of the boundless gulf of eternity without preparing to launch into it. You are at the edge of the precipice without a savior. You lay there with no interest in Jesus. You lay there with sins still on your soul. You are about to go out of this world without peace with God. You are going to stand before His righteous judgment in all your sins without any answer. However God finds you, your eternity will be forever fixed. Right now may be your last opportunity to prepare for God's judgment. There may never be another opportunity to receive Jesus as your Savior. In Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul has told us that none of us can condemn another because all of us have sinned, we just sin differently. However, when it comes to God's judgment. His condemnation of us is impartial. He knows the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about ourselves. His judgment and condemnation is inescapable. There is no place you can run away from His sovereign rule. And His condemnation is intolerant. We tend to think that just because God doesn't strike us down immediately or punish us right after we sin, that somehow he's okay with it. And Paul has just let us know that he is forbearing us in mercy, giving us the opportunity to turn from our sins and trust his gracious provision in Jesus. But he wants us to know that a day is coming when God will reveal exactly how he feels about our sin. The question I want us to explore is what happens to you on Judgment Day? What happens to you on Judgment Day? Let's read Romans chapter 2 verse 5. Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment is revealed, revealed. Some perceive God's temporary tolerance of sin and blessing as permission to go on sinning. They continue in sin. They refuse to repent. They refuse to change their view of and attitude toward their own sin. But mark it down. Mark the words. Mark the verse. A day is coming when God will judge all of us with righteousness. The design of Judgment Day. I need you to see what this text says. The the design of Judgment Day is not to find out or discover or discern the truth about us. That's not what Judgment Day does. That's what we do in our courts. We're trying to figure out the truth. That's not God's judgment. The day is called, notice this, a day of revelation. You see where God's righteous judgment is revealed? Revelation means making something known to people that was already in existence, just unknown to them. Did you catch that? Revelation is the truth. It is already known by God. He has not disclosed it fully to us yet. God's righteous judgment against sin has always been a fact. On judgment day, He's not going to sit there and figure it out. He knows exactly where you stand this moment. And what we're doing on judgment day is God's going to reveal to you to where you acknowledge He is right. He's going to reveal to you, and you will appreciate His judgment for what it, what it is exactly worth. And on that day, you'll have no doubt about it. You will agree with Him. Write this down, point number one in your notes. You will see your sin as God sees your sin. Ladies and gentlemen, that should strike us all with terror and horror. You will see your sin as God sees your sin. On judgment day, God will bring to light all your secret sins. Not only that, but God will so perfectly enlighten your conscience that you will make no objection. Your mouth will be shut. You will see how holy and horrific God is. It will be the most amazing sight you have ever seen. You will see how infinitely He hates sin. You will see how terrible and dreadful His displeasure really is. Whether you believe it or not, you are an enemy to God. You are a rebel against him. You disregard his commands. You hold his authority in contempt. And you slight his glorious gospel. Have you ever wronged someone here? And your conscience pained you through the night? Ever been there? You know you did wrong. You should have did better. And you go home and you just can't escape it. Your mind's just wallowed in the torment of it. I want you to imagine the affliction when your soul apprehends your sins as God perceives them. How do you think your conscience will act towards you when it gets who you've really wronged and what you've really done? Your conscience alone will torment you through eternity. You'll cry out to God, throw me into hell. What happens to you on judgment day? You will see your sin as God sees your sin. Look at verse 6. He will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. There will be affliction, and distress for every human being who does evil first to the jew and also to the greek but glory honor and peace for everyone who does what is good first to the jew and also to the greek the second thing i want you to write down that's seen here in this text is you will get exactly what you deserve you will get exactly what you deserve. I want you to notice in this passage, Paul has no problem under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the command of Jesus to let you know that everybody falls into just two groups. Two groups. You're one of two people and only two, and each group has its own respective outcome. There are only two outcomes. There's no middle ground. And the basis of separation between these two groups is a combination of two things. Write this down in your notes. Every moment and motive matters. Every moment of your life and every motive behind every moment of your life matters to God. Did you notice the word, don't miss this word, if you underline in your Bibles, you should probably have already underlined Revelation. (laughs) All right? And then this word, persistence. Did you see what he said there? He didn't say just those who do good. He said those who by persistence do good. This is lifelong perseverance in doing good. This is not intermittent moral efforts or doing good only when it's easy. This is always doing good, persisting in love and goodness. Church, with gentleness and respect, you and I may have done good, but we don't persist in it. I have a professor from Biola, Kevin Lewis. He illustrates it this way. Imagine you run through a red light. And an officer of the law pulls you over. And he goes, do you know why I'm pulling you over? And you're like, yeah, I I ran the red light. You acknowledge it. He goes, okay, what do you have to say about that? And then you tell the officer, but officer, before this, I ran through every green light. Do you think that moves the officer? No, what's his response? You're supposed to go through every green light. It's the red light that you trespassed that I'm here for you for. We somehow sit there and think, oh, but I went through a hundred green lights today. That does not absolve you of the offense of running through the red light. So I need you to catch this. God's standard of perfection is every moment and every uh, motive you have persisted in doing good. Church, let's just confess it. We've all ran through a red light at some point. You've done it today. That should already let you know what group you fall into. He's not even going to get to the conclusion of this. As Paul later says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, As it is written, there is no one righteous, no one who do, does good, Not even one. What do you mean? One sin prevents anyone from doing good to the degree to merit or earn salvation. Because it's not in persistence. No one can fulfill these conditions. Some interpret these verses to refer to regenerate Christians. Born again repentant believers. Who do works of faith? Let me explain this. When God receives a sinner, we're all sinners, at the time of our conversion, God asks nothing of us. We come empty handed. All he says is, believe me, trust me, rely upon me for forgiveness. But from that moment forward, the believer enters into a new responsibility. Because God is not just giving you grace for forgiveness. He's giving you grace to change and to do right and persist in right doing. And so you are obligated to show the fruits of grace in your life. Think of it this way. Apples on an apple tree prove life, but they don't provide life. The apples are the evidence that the apple tree is alive and well. It's the roots, not the fruits, that provide for the apple tree's nourishment and growth. Your faith in Jesus Christ provides righteousness. It is the nourishment. It is your growth. But you obeying Jesus and having a changed life is the proof or the evidence that your faith is genuinely connected to Jesus. What is of paramount importance, what you can't escape, is that God will judge everyone. What do you have to show for your faith? What do you have to show for your relationship with Christ? Could you be convicted that you're a Christian by the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Your works and your life matter, not as the basis For salvation. But as the evidence, the proof of your salvation. It's not just about a profession of faith. What you say, it's also about what you do. You show your faith. You just don't say you have faith. And notice the motives. Notice the motives between those who persist in doing good and those who produce evil. Those who persist in doing good, they seek glory, honor, and immortality. Glory is the future blessing of sharing in God's glory. It's to the glory of God and to be with the glory of God. Honor is God's recognition or praise. It's to hear the Father say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And immortality, probably my favorite, is life without end. It is not being subject to decay. It is eternal life. It is never getting sick. It is never getting old. It is being incorruptible to the end. How amazing. Those are the things that motivate those who genuinely do good. But notice those who produce evil. What's their motivation? They are self-seeking. It's about themselves. They pursue evil for their own purposes and disobey the truth. The truth is the gospel message or the truth that God has revealed about Himself. When we refuse to live the life, to accept Jesus and repent of our sins and live the life that God demands of us, we instead obey unrighteousness, which refers to any of the sins in Romans chapter 1. Now, notice the outcomes. There are two contrasting outcomes. Those who persist in doing good, first of all, they get what they long for. Did you notice how many match up? They receive the glory. They receive God's honor. And then he changes from a Greek idea to a more Hebraic idea. He doesn't talk about immortality, but he says you'll receive peace. Peace is, in the Hebrew mind, Perfect well-being its kind of the other side of immortality. That's what awaits those who persist in doing good. What a beautiful thing. But what about those who produce evil? What about those who run the red light? Listen to the terms he uses. Wrath, anger, affliction, trouble. Distress. These are the concepts. These are the ideas. There's one passage. Just write this down. Second Thessalonians one six through twelve. Second Thessalonians one six through twelve. Generally, in the New Testament, if you want to find out what happens hereafter, you actually read the words of Jesus. Jesus spoke more about the afterlife than any apostle. But Second Thessalonians one six through twelve. All these terms Paul uses in this brief paragraph to paint a picture of what it means to receive the wrath of God on Judgment Day. I just want to read it to you. And you're going to hear about unbelievers and believers. Paul is writing to Thessalonian Christians who've been persecuted. They've been afflicted. They've been troubled. And listen to what he says. Since it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us, the apostles. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with His powerful angels when He takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus.'" they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the lord's presence and from his glorious strength on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marvelled at uh, marvelled at by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed in view of this he wants to speak to believers we always pray for you that our god will make you worthy of his calling And by his power fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified by you. You'll make much of Jesus and you by him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see how he paints these two outcomes? He calls it the eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord for those who do evil. And for believers, we get to inherit life eternal and to be in the presence of God. And y'all, I get excited at just marveling at Him. To marvel at Him. What happens to you on Judgment Day? You will see your sin as God sees your sin. You will get exactly what you deserve. And then let's look at verse 11. For there is no favoritism with God. There is no favoritism with God. Write this down. Number three, you will be shown no favors. You will be shown no favors. Favoritism or partiality is preferring someone without good reason. Without good reason. We give favors. You and I give favors. We show partiality. We give preferential treatment. God doesn't. It doesn't matter to him whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter to him whether you're rich or poor, religious or not, black or white, attend church all your life, or this is your first Sunday. If you've been baptized, got wet, doesn't matter. If you have Christian parents or Christian grandparents, none of that matters to him. God will judge your works according to truth. Just about how you lived your life. Here's the thing that I want you to think about, though. Because I know it's hard to endure and think about the judgment of God. While God shows us no favors, He does show us grace. And grace is unmerited favor. It's not. What you deserve. God offers something like favoritism, but it's better than favoritism. It's the grace of God won by Jesus Christ. Forgiveness was purchased for you. It was bought by the blood of God's perfect Son. He persisted in good all of His life. And then He laid down His life for you and God raised His life up so you have a Savior. So while you will, be no, you will be shown no favoritism, God does hang grace out to you right now. You can take grace. And it's not based on your life. It's based on the meritorious, persistent good of His Son Jesus who bled and died for your sin and was raised for your justification. You can be declared righteous in Christ. So what should you do right now? Write this down. Plead guilty before you are found guilty. Take the plea deal. Right? I am a sinner and I will receive Jesus as my Savior and commit my life to Him. Because I need you to know, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't put it together yet, what will be revealed on that day is that you are evil and you deserve eternal destruction and you will agree with God. You will. Make no mistake about it. And so what God is doing in this time, in our lifetime, He is giving you the opportunity, take the plea before it gets to court. Do you see that? Take the plea now. Don't wait another day. Has your conscience defended you today? I'm not that. No, I'm a good guy. Has your conscience accused you today going, you've read that red light. You know who you are. Please test. Do not leave here deluded. This is just to your demise. Please test whether you have really trusted Jesus. Are you sure you will not be put into eternal destruction, but you will spend eternity immortal with God and marveling at Him in heaven? You need to know. And you can know today, we do not like to think about death and judgment. The truth of our sin, our guilt, our judgment and condemnation is incredibly inconvenient. Nobody thinks upon this every day of their life. But don't flatter yourself that death or judgment is not near. That you'll live a long life, that you're guaranteed it. Remember, from the moment of your death, your eternal destination is irreversible. You only have today. You've got right now, biblically, to make the decision. God, in His equally infinite mercy, just as He is infinitely wrathful, He is infinitely merciful. In His infinite mercy, He has provided the way of escape and the way for you to obtain eternal life. God has gave, given His Son Jesus, who is infinitely glorious, persistently perfect, and infinitely near and dear to Him. God could give you no greater gift that He loves you. Do you understand there's nothing left for God to show? The Bible says He demonstrated His love for you when Christ died for you. There's nothing left. He bankrupted heaven and gave you Jesus to show He doesn't want to avenge Himself. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, shed His blood for our sins. He underwent the dreadful wrath of God on the cross in our place. You know Jesus face to face with God and yet He looks into the heavens and goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus became the sinner in that moment for all of us. And to prove that what Jesus did is salvific, has the power to save you, make you righteous, make you perfect in the eyes of God, that you'll be declared innocent on that day, that you'll inherit eternal life. God raised him from the dead and said, Only Jesus, it's only my son, we receive God's forgiveness in Jesus' name. Only Jesus opens heaven for you and me. Turn from your sins and trust in Jesus, and God will declare you righteous today. Today. You're my righteousness in Christ. We have to be clothed in Christ. And please understand this. If, if, if Think about this. Please think about this. If God has put forward His greatest gift, the gift of His only begotten Son, and you reject Him, please anticipate wrath. When He goes, I've given you my absolute best, and you've rejected it, what else is left for you? There is nothing left. And please, don't forget, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors, they're all under the wrath of God, hanging by a thread. I like what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He says, we are debtors. We are indebted to them to let them know Jesus loved them and died for them and rose again to give them eternal life. They don't have to go out of this world to face judgment without an answer. They have a Savior, and you and I know it. We're indebted to them to tell them that. May God have mercy on all of us if our faith ever becomes a cold, dead thing. Church, don't ever forget. I think sometimes we bemoan our testimonies because it's not glorious. You must have forgotten what you've been saved from. You've been saved from God's judgment. You have a glorious testimony. You should fall on your knees and thank God for saving you. May you never lose the wonder of it all of when you heard the name of Jesus, when you believed in Him, and you escaped God's judgment. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.